This is John Isles, and you're listening to The Bill Podcast. Thank you so much, John Isles. What an absolute legend. John shared memories of The Bill from the 80s and the 90s in the first podcast, and this time we're heading to the noughties. As P.T. Ben Hayward, he walked the beat of Sun Hill for 55 episodes before going out with quite a bang. Now, I am delighted to be welcoming to the Bill podcast. He's a friend of mine. I've known him for 10 years this year, which is quite extraordinary. He's a legend. It's Mr. Ben Payton. Ben, welcome to the Bill podcast. Hello, Ollie. Thank you very much for having me. 10 years, eh? I know. Since you started stalking me. You did two plays at the Electric Theatre in Guildford. I, I came down to meet you, a scared boy, my first time in London. We had a coffee in Wimbledon. You were rehearsing for art. Yeah. And then I actually got to see you in action at the Electric Theatre doing Journey's End. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, what a play that is. Art and Journey's End. My good friend Sean McNamara, who's now head of GSA, actually, the Guildford School of Acting. Um, Yeah, and he said, do you want to be in these plays? I thought, well, why not? These are great, uh, great plays, great parts. And I played Stanhope in Journey's End, which is a a gift of a role for any actor. And um, yeah, there you were supporting me. I was very appreciative. Thank you very much. You were the most high profile person in the cast. There were a lot of good up and coming young actors. But by then, you'd been in the bill. You had just done a Holby City. So... It was a really good role for you to come in and then command the show. I mean, it was, it was a cracking production as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It really was a good production. And um, there was a little bit of pressure there as well because uh, a lot of the cast were still actually at the Guildford School of Acting in their third year. And they'd received permission from GSA to, to be in the show. It was, it was interesting because they kind of looked up to me a little bit, which I hadn't really expected. They must have looked up to you because you had been at the GSA yeah, and I'd been at GSA and I'd, uh, I'd done some good work as well. And, you know, they were all wanting to, to get themselves an agent and I was there to offer them some advice, what to do, what not to do. And how did you find yourself at the GSA? What what was your route into acting in your in your early years? Had you always wanted to be an actor? No, not really. I'd been in a, a musical at, uh, in my secondary school where I played Eddie Fast. Or I was very Cornish at the time. I've lost my accent a little bit. I was Eddie Fast. <laughs> and uh, about a guy who sells his soul to the devil for 30 years of rock music fame. And it was an original musical. And um, I did that, which was uh, four productions of that. And then I went to Millfield School in Somerset because I was very sporty. But I ended up doing A-level drama and I wanted to go to Loughborough University to do sports science, but I didn't get in. Mm. So my drama teacher said, well, have you considered drama school? And I hadn't at all. And she gave me a list of drama schools to phone up. RADA, Lambda, Central School of Speech and Drama, Guildford School of Acting. And GSA, Guildford School of Acting, was the only one that still had an audition place available. And that was it, really. It was all very much last minute. And almost a whim it wasn't I, you know I want to be an actor I've always wanted to do this it, it wasn't it was probably because I didn't get into Loughborough to become a, a sports teacher listeners to this podcast will know you best for your tv work but what do you enjoy about stage acting and what was the training for a young actor in the late 90s when I went to GSA I was told all throughout my three years there that I was going to work in tv and film because of my look I was, this is 20 years ago, I was young and pretty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm now old and pretty. And, no, um, <laughs> you know, you're young, man. So 
it, it was, and it, you must remember, it was, all, it was all quite new to me. I hadn't done that many shows. Everything was pretty much new to me. There was uh, voice classes, accent classes, dance classes, something called Laban. I still don't know what Laban is. I did it for a year and I have no idea. So um, I was just kind of happy to be there. And I was, I was away from home. It was all quite exciting. I ended up doing um, lots of plays there. But it was interesting because they told me I was going to work in TV and film. They didn't give me any TV and film training, which was unusual. And I know things have changed now at drama schools. They, they do TV courses, they do um, acting for camera, things like that. But we never had any of that. So I felt I developed as a stage actor because I was doing, in my second and third years, I was doing lots of plays. Each term you would do a play. So I did five, six, seven plays. But then I graduated. And again, everything was leaning towards TV and film. I managed to get an agent. But I, I, I honestly, now to this day, I probably only had 10 auditions for a professional play and everything else was TV and film. Wow. So I was completely unprepared. Although I felt I became a very, I was a very competent stage actor. It just didn't happen for me that way. Mm. It was TV and film. And when you look at your CV, you look at someone who's graduated from GSA, won awards, you won Poetry Cup. I won the Poetry Cup, I did, with a, a cracking rendition, even if I do say so myself, of a, a lovely, lovely poem called I Am Not There. No one knows who wrote it. It was apparently found in the backpack of a soldier that was murdered, I think, in Northern Ireland. But it's only about nine or ten lines, but it's, um, it's a beautiful poem, and I haven't thought about this for a long time. Um, do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. I still remember it. Oh, mate, I've got shivers. Wow. That's incredible. So it's a, it's a lovely, lovely poem. And um, they, they brought in a, a, a professional poet to judge it and um i did manipulate things a little bit because it was in november and i wore all black but just had a poppy on nice yeah it worked um yeah no i won but it's a, it's a lovely poem look it up on the internet if you can it's yeah, yeah i am not there poetry cup scholarship <laughs> bridget jones's diary band of brothers that's Quite an incredible... It sounds impressive, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It does sound impressive and it looks impressive, but when you, <laughs> you scratch the surface, <laughs> maybe not quite so impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I ended up with a, an agent and I did a, a CITV show called Welcome to Ortifu, which had an animated penguin in it. It was just a, it was a six part, I think it was uh, six episodes about um, a family and their children and their, their lives at school. And I think the kids were about 12 or 13. I played the 18-year-old at the school, or the college, or university. Um, bit of a heartthrob. The actor playing the dad was an actor called Daniel Hill. He, he works all the time, but I remember him from Only Fools and Horses. Derek, I'm not a yuppie. Yes. He, he plays Cassandra's boss. Sorry. And we got chatting, and he said, who's your agent? And I told him. And he said, no, 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 they're not good enough. You need to be with my agent. And he got on his phone... And phoned his agent there and then, a lovely lady called Maxine Hoffman, who was with London Management at the time. Massive agency. And he said, Maxine, um, I've got a young actor here. You've got to meet him. He's absolutely superb. He's going places. But um, his agent isn't good enough. And sure enough, she said, OK, and called me in for a meeting. A week later, 
I'd already signed with her and I was auditioning for some massive, massive things. And within a month, I think I'd got a Specsavers commercial, Bridget Jones's Diary, which was a favour to her, actually. I think she knew the director, Sharon Maguire, and they wanted someone six foot and dark hair to get married. And she put me forward. They looked at my photo and said, yep, he'll do. I do make the final cut, just. Yeah. You can see me dancing with, um, with my bride in the, the grounds of a hotel. There was one other scene that got cut, unfortunately. Um, but even so, it was great. I got met all the actors and had a good time there, and it was nicely paid. Um, and then, yeah, Band of Brothers, which was massive. Mm. And I had five auditions for that, for my two lines. Wow. <laughs> yeah, episode two, Day of Days, towards the end... You can just about see that it's me. I'm crawling through a field. Donnie Wahlberg is in front of me and I tap him on the leg. It's a massive gun battle all around us. And I say, um, hey, Sarge, I'm looking for battalion headquarters. And he says, you kidding me? I shake my head. I didn't say no, which is, would have you know, given me more, more words. I shook my head <laughs> and he says, it's back that a ways. I pop my head up and say, you mean back over there? But <laughs> bullet shot in the head. Oh, mate. Yeah. And uh, we had two takes to do it. They had a squib built into my helmet. It doesn't sound like much, but the, the pressure that I felt doing that, if I cocked it up, I know I didn't have many lines, but if I got it wrong and they'd used the squibs, they, they would have been, uh, we would have been in trouble. I hope that the process to become PC Ben Hayward was easier than, than that, or was it? It was. What, three auditions. That was just three auditions. And I can remember the first one very clearly. I was sat in the waiting room. Lisa Harris, lovely Lisa Harris, was the casting director. And I could hear the actor auditioning before me. And we had the same script. And he was shouting his head off, shouting these lines. And I remember thinking, my word, poor Lisa in there. She's going to be deafened by this. So I'm, I'm not going to go in and do the same thing. This is just, but whatever, this actor decided that's what he was going to do. So I did the complete opposite. And I kept everything very low key and what I thought was more appropriate to the part. And I made a joke. I probably shouldn't have done this. I made a joke about the previous actor. Did you? <laughs> yeah, which was probably a bit naughty. But I was, you know, blimey, what the hell was that guy on about? And she, and she laughed. She found it hilarious and said, I know, my ears are ringing. And so that was that. did my audition. Again, I, I, as an actor, you can always tell, I think, when an audition goes well. And I knew that one had gone well. And sure enough, they called me back for another audition when I think they'd whittled it down to about six actors. And then I got a call back for the final audition, which was going to be a screen test in full uniform with, with the cast. Oh, wow. And there was, I was told there was three of us. So they gave us a couple of scenes and I turned up and I put the uniform on. And that was very surreal. Just putting that uniform on, you feel this sense of authority. You can't help it, but you do. And you, you stand up that little bit straighter and you're, you know, you, your, your chest comes out with, with pride almost. And so my first scene was with Lisa Gagan who played Polly Matt Crompton who played Sam Harker he was actually reading Smithy's part Alex Walkinshaw couldn't be there uh, so he Matt Crompton was brought in and a couple of others I think Suzanne Maddock who played Cass Rickman and I did the scene and that went really well and I had to say and spell the word methylene dioxide methylamphetamine there you go and I had to spell it as well and apparently I was the only one my brother's a doctor and I phoned him up and said how on earth do I say this word and he told me the correct pronunciation. And I learned how to spell it. And I was the only one in the audition out of the three actors that, that pronounced it right. 
and spelt it correctly too. Nice. Yeah, very nice, eh? Um, and then my second scene was uh, in an interview room, and it was with the the dame, Trudy Goodwin, uh-huh. who played June Ackland. And again, I remember thinking, I'm auditioning with one of the most famous police officers in television history. And it wasn't intimidating in any way whatsoever because she was so incredibly lovely and welcoming and helpful. She was just lovely and made me feel so comfortable. And we did the scene and it was a couple of weeks later I got the call from my agent to say, congratulations, you've got the part. And I was in Ireland where I was visiting family and um, we had a very, very big party that night. It was it was quite an incredible thing. And just the feeling of knowing that you're, as an actor, you're knowing that you're wanted, it makes all the the times you don't get the job, it makes it all worthwhile. How much on your radar had for Bill Bean had you watched it growing up? Absolutely. Um, not religiously. Dipped in and out like uh, I think a lot of people would have done. Certainly lots of familiar faces, um, you know, Dave Quinnan, Polly Page, Cryer, Ackland, Hollis, Stamp, all these names and recognisable faces. And to be in amongst it was was odd, but I was incredibly grateful and... I knew how big the show was. I, I, I knew. It's, it's very, it was very odd seeing all these, these people. You expect them to be like their character almost. And they're not. And you're talking to them completely normally. And it's, it's just a very bizarre situation. to For a young actor, it's a very bizarre situation to be in. Seeing all these established faces and recognisable faces you know, being perfectly normal. Seeing them in their civvies, in their dressing rooms. Well, speaking about how they're different to their characters, what did you like about playing Ben Hayward, what appealed you to the character and how similar are you to Ben Hayward? He was, he was young and naive and I think when, when it came to acting and television acting, I was very young and naive as well. I was learning as, uh, as it went on. And my opening episodes, part of me cringes because I, I think I was completely out of my depth because I, I hadn't had that much training. You could almost see the fear in my eyes not knowing where to stand, almost not really knowing where the camera was, things, just things like that. And, but also it, it almost worked for the character, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> my, my rubbishness was, uh, I might have got away with it because, because Ben was so young, enthusiastic, naive, excitable. So, yeah, there were, there were those things were very similar. But um, he, he, used to, he used to take drugs. I've, I've never taken drugs in my life. So that, I had no idea. I, I didn't go all method and then start <laughs> suddenly dropping methylene dioxide, methylamphetamine or anything like that. So one thing I'm glad they didn't do I should have brought it in with me to show you, but I have the character brief, the original character brief, and it says, and I quote, his hairstyles will test the Met's patience. So he was going to have all these bizarre different hairstyles and hair colours. Thankfully, they didn't run with that one because that would have just been weird. In an episode called Bad for Your Health, Polly Page describes Ben as dead keen and he's got bottle that's quite a good line and and he he does have bottle and he's he's quite a forthright young man isn't he yeah i I think we both had myself as as an actor and ben as a character had something to prove dave quinnan especially took exception to ben being that he just thought he was a you know a a posh prat and in, in many respects he was but when they say you know he's got bottle he he had a point to prove and he he would often rush in without he would say things without thinking. He'd tackle baddies without thinking that there could be consequences. And that was great fun because it just, it just, he got his hands dirty. Uh, I remember one episode I had to rugby tackle someone and then get kicked in the chest. And, and that was great. And I did, I did an awful lot of running and, and getting punched and kicked. I loved all that. That was great fun. 
but I didn't do much punching or kicking back, which I would have liked. You had a very fun experience with Andrew Paul and Graham Cole in the car map reading, and they, they're trying to put put you in your place after you're, you're sort of telling them, "Oh, I think I'll go on to the drug squad next." You know, that's right. Yeah, they, they pranked me with the uh, the false shout. I had to read them directions. That was brilliant fun because. Graham Cole did an awful lot of the driving. Uh, he was a brilliant driver, but they did bring in a stunt driver for various aspects of that, for lots of sharp turns and skids and things like that. So I was I was sat in the back seat being thrown around by a professional stunt driver, which was great fun. And it's one of those situations where I knew I was in such good hands. I was able to almost enjoy it because I knew this guy wasn't going to crash. He, he knows what he's doing. Let's just enjoy the ride, so to speak. But whereas my face is showing, you know, fear and... Well, yeah, fear. Pretty much just fear, really, isn't it? Yeah, that was great fun. But I had to, um, I had to hold in my mouth a really large amount of cold vegetable soup oh, yeah. for about a minute before I puked it up. Sorry to put you off your dinner if you're, if you're listening to this whilst having it. Um, it was making me gag. When I was spitting it out, it was so disgusting. It was making me gag as well. And there was probably a little bit of real vomit in there too. So that wasn't particularly pleasant. But that was just one of the many pranks in that in that episode, which was, uh, it was a lot of fun. That, those episodes were fun. And, and of course, you're joining with Holly Davidson as well. Was that nice to have someone else joining with you and what was it like for you both to be joining this thing and both being in the same boat was that helpful very much so holly was lovely uh, really nice and we very much sort of clung to each other a little bit holly i don't think had done um she, you know, she had done a few things she was in a kids football tv show so she'd done a little bit more work than i had but going into a big big show yeah we very much lent on each other and we had an awful lot to do in those opening episodes i think we had a great chemistry together and our stories were very interesting she left a little bit before I did. I'm not entirely sure why she left, actually, because she was doing very, very well. And she was, she was brilliant. We didn't have as much to do with each other as I, I thought we were going to. I thought they were going to introduce some kind of love element almost. Mm. But uh, they didn't go down that road. But I think, um, I think earlier on they had established that we were just friends. Um, but, you know, they're writers. They can change things, can't they? How involved were you all in the script meetings? When did you find out that, all right, so I'm going to have four lines in this episode, but then I'm going to have a trilogy where I'm the main character? How, how much notice did you get as to what involvement you would have? There was a fair few weeks' notice. They'd have this uh, almost like a, uh, in, in the script corridor, uh, a bureau where they would put upcoming scripts and things like that and upcoming ideas storylines you could just pick them up and have a little look through and you think oh well, how, how much have I got to do in this episode and obviously I just go straight to my name to see what's going on and and oh okay I've got a fair bit to do in that episode which is in about six weeks time that's good that's interesting I was always so grateful to be in a job I didn't want to rock the boat in any way at one point I wasn't working that much I pop up every now and then in a few episodes not much to do at all and I remember speaking to the series producer um, at the time, Richard Hanford, a bit concerned. I'm, I'm not actually in that much at the moment. Is, is there something you want to tell me? Is there something I should know? And he said, oh, no, no, you're one of my babies. I brought you in. It's just quiet for you at the moment, but don't worry, it's going to get busier. So right. that was that. But um, a lot of actors would often go into the producers and say, hey, come on, what's going on? Why aren't I in more? I want more to do. But I thought if I start doing things like that, they'll just get rid of me. I didn't realise that I probably had every right to say, hey, come on, give me more to do, please. I just didn't want to rock the boat. And in hindsight, I probably should have. It started to get a bit more busy for you with a famous encounter for Bob Cry and Return of the Hunter. Return of the Hunter. I was really pleased with that episode because I was so involved in it. 
Eric, uh, played Bob Crowe, knew it was his leaving episodes. And it was massive. The fact that Smithy ended up shooting him. Whoever it was, the scriptwriter thought, let's put Ben Hayward with Bob um, and they can go to the school together. That, I was really pleased with that. And I, I really, really liked that episode because I do go through such a change as well. There had actually a scene that was cut where I was in the car with, with Cryer. We're driving to this school. I couldn't drive at the time, so he was driving, which probably never would have happened. And, but if you go back, watch my old episodes, I'm never driving because I didn't have a driving license. And we're just chatting away and chatting away. He's trying to talk to me about my sister and I, I basically tell him to shut up. And I'd love to watch that scene because I've never seen it. And working with Eric, especially on such, such big episodes, was, was amazing. He, he, was, he was terrific. He really was. Very exciting, those episodes. I, yeah, I, I want to watch it again now. Return of the Hunter. Now, you had a fantastic trilogy of episodes where Ben's right at the heart of it. It's uh, The Dark Side, Angel Rooms and Paint It Black. A great big drug story and all the stuff about Jules, your sister, comes to before. But I've got to ask, what was it like getting top billing in the bill, 8 million people watching, number one on the credits, Ben Payton? That must have felt awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really did. <laughs> There's there was a bar in Wimbledon, right, that used to show the bill. <laughs> you can see where this is going, right? And they had these booths where the television was right by them. There were several televisions there, but and I deliberately, whilst these episodes were being screened, I would deliberately go into this bar with my friends and sit by the TV. I'm I'm such an idiot. But I would make sure that I was sat right by the TV, sort of facing out towards the bar area and just sort of look at people <laughs> to see if they would clock the TV and then clock me. I mean, who does that? I can't believe I've just admitted that, actually. But I was it was such a buzz and yeah. I was so excited by it. I, I, I certainly wouldn't do anything like that now. I'm much older and wiser. But 22, 23 on national television... That's what I used to do. <laughs> I used to walk around Wimbledon Centre Court as well when we were filming. If we had a break, um, we'd have to put costume coats on to hide the fact that we had the, the uniform on because they were genuine Met Police uniforms. I would always make sure my coat slipped so that the Met Police thing would be showing so people might see me and come and talk to me, honestly, because I loved all that. Yeah. But those episodes, yeah, that again, massive honour. That was a really, that was my favourite time on the entire show. That trilogy of episodes, they brought in Neil Fitzmorris of Phoenix Knights fame. That, that was the most fun I've had on episodes. He was amazing. He was a great actor, lovely, lovely bloke, and taught me an awful lot. And our, again, our chemistry was just, I thought, was, was fantastic. We really bounced off each other. He was so popular on set that we tried to change it so that he didn't die in the end. We wanted him to be kept on because he was such a popular person and character. And those episodes, yeah, they were they were thrilling, absolutely thrilling. I was so pleased that they, they gave me a trilogy. That was incredibly exciting and a big show of faith. And I think those three episodes are really genuinely very, very good episodes and, and very exciting. And you did get to punch someone, but you'd like grab a... The big guy, is that the big yeah, guy at the yeah, end? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, I think he actually manages to whack me in the stomach, but the power of television, it doesn't really affect me, and I end up beating him up. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was, you know, 
yeah. never going to happen. But because he was a big fella, yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was quite a good fight scene. He sprays you. He sprays you in the eyes. That's right, pepper spray. Yeah, and then you crawl over, and then your hands are covered um, in the blood. Yeah, crawling through blood, and there's syringes lying around. I think that the guy's the actor's name was Kenneth, who played Cleaver, Curtis Cleaver. He has a flick knife, and we had to film it. So if you go back and watch it, he says his line. And you can hear him flicking his knife open, but we couldn't show it because it was pre-watershed, I think. But then it gets quite violent. There's lots of blood everywhere. There's a big fight and there's stabbings and syringes. So they could show that, but they couldn't show the knife being opened. Mm. It's quite interesting. I suppose leading on from the fame element is that then you were being invited to be a guest on shows like Family Fortunes and... SMTV Live chums, which are for the anyone. Highlight <laughs> of my career. I was on Family Fortunes. It was the Bill versus London's Burning with Les Dennis. Oh, and I love that show. I love Les Dennis. I think the guy's a brilliant actor. He's a very funny man. I was so thrilled to be part of that. I think I might even have asked to be the publicity team. So, look, please, I've got to be in this. And thankfully, they said yes. I think it was filmed in Nottingham. And we, we filmed the episode. Well, we filmed a rehearsal, actually. They said, I, I think it was myself, Jeff Stewart, who played Reg, Samantha Robson, who played Vicky Hagen, Chris Simmons, who played Mickey Webb, and Lisa Gagan, who played Polly. It was five of us. And we won the rehearsal. And it was unanimous that it was going to be Jeff and I doing the head-to-head. So we, we did this. I, and I, I went second. So Jeff went first. He gave his answers in the 15 seconds. I think I had the 20 seconds. So I went off. And they genuinely do put headphones on you so you can't hear the other person. They play rubbish music. I couldn't hear a thing. To this day now, I'm, I, I, I feel uncomfortable. The, the pressure, even though it was a rehearsal, of them walking back out and standing on that spot with the microphone there, Les next to you, saying things like, if you repeat an answer, you'll hear this. Beep. It's mental. I, I have to say, I can't remember whether we won or not in the rehearsal, the, um, the jackpot. I really can't remember. But when it came to the live show, we lost. And I was really annoyed because I was desperate to win. But I saved the team at one point as well. I had to get an answer right to keep us in the game. And I did. Nice. Yes. And SMTV Live again. <laughs> wow. Sadly, it was when Ant and Deck were away. They were on uh, holiday. So it was Cat Dealey, uh, Louise Nerding at the time, now Redknapp, and H from Steps. And we did a, a, an interview. But yes, also, I was part of chums their friend spoof with chris simmons yeah. which was which was just brilliant and there's i ad lib in it um i was doing a scene a little bit with cat dealey and i thought when am i going to be in a scene with cat dealey ever again so i just put my arm around her and just said so anyway miss how are you doing <laughs> joey tribbiani style from friends Complete ad lib, and you can see her face. She smirks, and she's about to lose it, but she keeps she she manages to keep her head, and she carries on with the scene. And then Anton Deck actually turned up to surprise Cat Dealey at the very end, which was lovely. So I got to meet them very briefly, and they were every bit as normal, funny, and down to earth as as you hope they would be. And I'm also I played Eat My Goal, which was a penalty shootout game they played. And I was the only person to score my goal. Yeah, against H from Steps. Again, I tell you, that's one of the proudest moments of my life, scoring a goal against H from Steps. And you can see my reaction. I find my wife, who was in the audience watching, and I I give her a little, yes, I've done it, I've done it, I scored, I scored, because I was was just so relieved. Well, that's a neat tie-in, because the bill obviously changes people's lives in their careers, but... 
your life really did change in the most wonderful possible way by meeting yesterday. So how did that relationship begin? Sarah Jane was, uh, I think at the time, she was she did a variety of jobs there, but she ended up becoming the producer's assistant. And I noticed her around. She was very attractive. Well, she still is very attractive. And I remember, <laughs> I remember I said to Rene Zagger, who played Nick Klein, Rene, who's that girl? And immediately, that's all I said, he said, SJ. I said, well, you don't know what I'm going to say. He said, SJ, you're going to say with the blue eyes. And that's exactly what I was going to say. That's SJ. She said, you've got no chance. She's interested in Alex Smithy. Oh, oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, How can I compete with with Alex? And um, I got chatting to SJ and I I started to think, I don't think she likes Alex. I think she might like me. I called in Lisa Gagan's help. We were filming on location. We we arrived back to uh, to Boson House, it was called, where we filmed the interior stuff. And I said, look, I think Sarah Jane's going to be on reception. Can you just... Have a little look. See, I'm going to talk to her. Can you see if if she likes me? Just have a little look. And sure enough, I walked in and started talking to SJ, who was on reception helping out. And Lisa, I could see Lisa walk behind and she just cast her eye over. And that was that. Then I went, I finished my conversation with SJ, went to see Lisa and she said, oh, yes. Yes, she likes you. Oh. <laughs> I thought, oh, brilliant. That's good. I asked her out. We went on a date. And 17 years later and two children later, we're still going strong. That's magic, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? It is. We were called the Posh and Becks of the Bill. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it, it's, it was lovely because she, she was very popular there. And I'd like to think I was quite a popular person there as well. So people were genuinely pleased that we got together. We had to go to the, when Sarah Jane became the producer's assistant, we had to go to Richard Hanford, the exec producer, and tell him that we were together. Because SJ was privy to confidential information. And obviously there is a risk that, you know, she might tell me things that I probably shouldn't know. I don't think she would have. She didn't, of course not. So we went to Richard and said together, we went together and said, hey, just just so you know, we're actually going out with each other. And his reaction was lovely. He said, we are so, we're all delighted to hear that. You, you make a lovely couple. And they weren't in the slightest worried about Sarah Jane knowing things or me knowing things. They were just happy that we were together. And the bill afforded me to to get a mortgage to buy my first flat. So um, because of the bill, yeah, I met Sarah Jane and we've got our two brilliant children and 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 a property as well. So I've got an awful lot to be grateful to the bill for. And I and I I constantly remind myself of that. Obviously disappointing to leave the way you had to leave. Yeah. Um, but what a way to go at the same time. In, in, you know, you're part of television history in, in that way. Does does that give you any any pleasure whatsoever, or is it still a, a bit of a pill to swallow? Um, it's it, no, it doesn't give me any pleasure. No, um, my agent always wanted me to do two years. That was her plan. It was always going to be two years. I would have been happy there for a lot longer. Financially, you know, you're you're not sorted, but they they look after you, and you're doing what you want to do. And so I can completely understand why actors stay in certain shows for ten plus years. You know, why would they leave? But what they do, they have um, with with me and I think with other actors as well, they had six monthly options on you. I was there for 18 months. My final six months option wasn't taken up, which was, yeah, I was very disappointed. Um, I wanted to stay because I was enjoying myself, but I completely understand why I went. My character was boring. Ben was boring. There's no two ways about that. I, I really think he was. He didn't need to be, but he became that way. So I can understand why. I didn't have my option taken up. 
what I should have done, I should have fought for my fought for my case again. Getting, I mentioned it earlier how I didn't want to rock any boats. When I was told the decision, I I, I thanked the the producer, a guy called Paul Marquis. I thanked him for the opportunity and said, "Best of luck with the show." And I walked out. I should have said, "No, hold on, hold on, change me, make me a drug addict." Nice irony there. Make me gay. Make me something. Write for me. I can do it. Make me interesting again. Mm. But I didn't. And I wish, I wish I had. But I think I should have just fought my case a little bit more. So it was, it was very disappointing. I, I, I really didn't want to leave. But then saying that, I was told I was leaving on September the 11th, 2001, in the morning. Oh, whoa, mate. So... I wasn't filming um, after they told me the, deci- the decision. Um, I'd finished filming for that day. And uh, so I obviously had the rest of the day off. Um, Sarah Jane was given the rest of the day off as well because she was disappointed. She she knew slightly before I did. Um, oh, that must have been hard. Though. Oh, it was. I, I walked past her her desk to... What what happened was I was I was filming a scene with uh, Andy Paul, Dave Quinn, on location. And we had a little bit of a break. So I just well, I went to phone SJ just to say, hello, how you doing? And she didn't um, answer the phone, but her, her colleague, Esther, who was Paul Marcus's assistant, she answered the phone and said, oh, hi, Ben, SJ's not at her desk, um, but I'll tell her you called. Oh, just so you know, uh, Paul wants to see you as soon as you've come back from filming. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. The alarm bells were ringing. I, and I spoke to Andy about it. I said, oh, Paul Marcus wants to see me. And, <laughs> and his reaction was just silence. He just looked at me. He, d- he didn't need to say anything. He, he knew. I knew. So I walked back in and uh, SJ was at her desk and she couldn't make eye contact with me. Oh, nice. she, she, I could tell she'd been crying. So I, I knew what was coming, but it was it's still not nice hearing it. And um, he was very businesslike about it. He said, um, well, well, then it's not good news. Uh, we're not going to renew your contract. That was that. But getting back to September the 11th, I, I, Sarah Jane and I left uh, to go and get a drink or something. We went to Centre Court in Wimbledon and we were near Curry's or something. And the televisions were showing this tall building with smoke coming out of it. And obviously events unfolded and it put everything into perspective. Uh, and it made me realise that I've lost a job. So what? It doesn't really matter. Look at what's happening. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's interesting, the other actors' reaction to it. On September the 10th, we'd had a meeting with Paul Marquis who said, oh, I'm going to make some changes. And I went to a pub with a lot of the cast and Mark Wingett played Jim Carver, said to me, well, that's it, I'm off. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, me, the old school, we're all out. It's going to be about you youngsters. You're all going to be fine. It's us old school that are, have got to worry. And he couldn't have been more wrong. Paul Marquis really used the well-known older characters. He, he gave them even more to do. And it was us, a lot of the younger characters, that were replaced with other younger characters. But his reaction when, when I told him that I was off, Rather than, oh, mate, oh, he didn't, any of that. He just went, it happens, life of an actor. And, but it was just what I needed. Yeah. I, I didn't, I'd had from other actors, oh, Ben, I'm so sorry. But here's, it happens, life of an actor. It, it, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. It, yeah. it was great, I needed it. I, I've, I've seen Eric Richard in a, in a contemporary interview at the time saying that, you know, he was, he was disappointed to leave. And they said, well, you know, it must have been great with a 17-year job. He said, well, it wasn't a 17-year job. It was 34 six-month contracts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you did, you did go by every six months. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I know an awful lot of the regular cast, they wouldn't have had their six-monthly options taken up. 
But I must say, you might have thought Ben was boring. You did not play him boring. You always had a twinkle in your eye. You brought a hell of a lot to that role. So I hope you're proud of yourself for playing it because I've really enjoyed watching them back. As I mentioned earlier, my my opening episodes, I do think I'm a bit of a bunny in the headlights and a fish out of water. I'm a bit out of my depth. But as time went by, and because I was filming so often, so regularly, and with different directors, different actors... I learnt an awful lot very, very quickly. And I think by the end, yeah, I, I do think I, I developed into a very competent television actor. And I, I, the only episodes I don't like watching are First Impressions Part 1 and 2. I, I don't enjoy watching them. I, I feel uncomfortable. But other episodes, including my trilogy, and there's some other episodes, um, Lick of Paint about graffiti artists, um, Hitting Home, which I think was a bit of a follow-on from Return of the Hunter. And another one where the super vet pulls a gun on me. Head Over Heels, where Graham Cole, uh, Tony Stamp, goes to a dating agency. And I, the super vet, I'm chasing him and I end up arresting him. Or uh, Yeah, um, I, I look back on a, with those episodes with, with pride. And... Oh, well, you went on to do a feature film, Nine Lives. Let's not forget when we're talking about here, 2002. There is no Twitter. There is no Facebook. There is no way for an actor to build their profile art online. Show reels are still done on VHS. DVDs still relatively new. There is no dancing on ice. There is no Strictly Come Dancing. Had that happened at a slightly different time, you know, you'd have been completely straight into these kind of reality shows or you'd have been putting your show reels straight online. You know, it was a different time. And a horror movie like Nine Lives probably now would do a lot better than it did then just because of the multi-platform age we live in. But I think you were very unlucky with the time we're talking about here. Is that a fair comment, you think? I think that's very fair. And it's only really recently that I've, I've thought that myself. I think I was five or ten years too early. There's so much being made now. And there's television channels on Sky popping up that I've never heard of. And television shows, Amazon are making their own TV shows. Netflix are making their own TV shows. All these channels... Ah, there's so much more work out there. And I mean, I, I actually retired in 2007, 10 years ago. My last job was a Holby City and I, I hated every minute of it. And the decision to call it a day was just a massive weight off my shoulders. But I think I've still got something to offer. So I'm, I'm nearly 40 now as well. I'm at an age where I can... 10 years ago, I was too young to play juvenile parts. And I don't think I was old enough to play dad parts. But now I'm nearly 40. I, I, I can play the dad parts and the grown up parts. So there's more. I think there's more available to me. And with the amount of TV shows and, and film out there, there is more opportunity, I think. So maybe it's time to, to throw my hat back into the ring and, and get out there again. But I'll, I'll have to see about that. I've dabbled in short films and tried to make feature films as well, and you've very kindly helped me with my project. It's just to shut you up. <laughs> it's just to get you off my back. Yeah. <laughs> you won't leave me alone. No. You won't let me enjoy my retirement. I've got the faith in you, and I know your dad is like your number one fan. I know he'd love to see you back. Well, but... He's a frustrated actor himself, you see. <laughs> yeah. I think he, if, if he, he used to act, um, he grew up in Ireland, and he used to do lots of uh, amateur dramatics, and I think he's a very frustrated thespian definitely you could do a like a two-man show you know no he'd upstage me all the time he'd, he's probably be too good so no no chance <laughs> well i'm very grateful to you for giving your time um, this is obviously for for free is there a charity you wouldn't mind people donating a couple of quid to for for listening to this for free what do you support meningitis now 
When I was 19 at uh, GSA, I contracted meningococcal meningitis with septicemia, you know, the, the whole shooting match, which wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. Luckily, I don't remember too much about it. Yeah, June 1996, I was doing a project at some friend's house and I remember thinking, I don't feel very well. This is a bit weird. I, I don't feel 100%. Went to bed, went into school uh, the next day. And we had assessments, I don't know, ballet or <laughs> Laban. Still don't know what it is. Um, I'm going to have to Google it when I get home. And um, I started to feel very, very weak. And I remember leaning on a piano and thinking, oh, I'm not well here. And um, my teachers, the teacher said, go home. Just, you know, you're, you're obviously not well. Go home. Went back to, I was staying with my, my girlfriend at the time. And she kind of kept an eye on me. I remember looking into a mirror and seeing red spots on my face and chest. Blotches. And I remember thinking, that's not right. And then next thing I know, it's probably about 12 hours later and I'm in hospital. And what it was, that was the start of the blood poisoning, the septicemia. I woke up, my dad was, had travelled up from Cornwall. They were uh, looking at me in the bed and I went, what are you doing here? And my dad said, I've come to see you. And then I passed out again. Mm. I was in hospital for probably five or six days, I think. And then went back to Cornwall for um, the summer holiday to recuperate. And as it turned out, yeah, I'd, uh, I, I made a full recovery. I was incredibly lucky because people lose limbs and often their life before the septicemia shows. And I had the, the septicemia. So meningitisnow.org, I believe it is. They raise awareness. They organise campaigns. They provide support for, for victims of meningitis and their relatives, families, friends. They do a great job. Well, that's a good thing to support fans of a bill. And speaking of those guys... You still hear from fans of a bill on Twitter, so what, what's I, your message to them? I do. I, I still receive fan mail as well, which which is I love getting, and I, all these lovely letters about people, how they remember Ben, they enjoyed Ben, which is really, really nice to hear, and it's very much appreciated, and I always respond to these letters. So thank you very much. Um, and it, I loved meeting fans of the bill, although whenever you meet fans of the bill, I've found all they want to talk about is Smithy. Really? That's, oh, that's it. They just, they, yeah, Smithy. Maybe Reg. <laughs> which is fair enough they were great characters I was in Sainsbury's once and um, I got recognised and uh, this woman said you was in the bill I said yes she said with Smithy yes with Polly yes with Reg yes then there's a pause she said I never watched it <laughs> uh, and, that, and that happens so often people would say oh you, oh, you were in the bill I never watched it but I love that Dave Quinnan and maybe these people didn't watch the show, but the, these famous faces and names somehow crept into into their minds, their subconscious, because it was that big. Yeah, no, thank you ever so much for watching. Thank you for writing to me. Thank you for all the tweets. Thank you very much. Ben Payton, what a legend. Thank you so much, mate. Ollie, thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We didn't mention James Bond. No, no. Damn it. Yeah. Never mind. We'll Next, get time. You back. Yeah. Next time. Next yeah, time. We'll thank you. Thank you, Ollie. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ben, as ever, uh, for making me laugh. Uh, what an awesome human being. And thank you to Sarah Jane as well. Both of you have been very good to me over the years. I keep on thinking of Ben like John Rambo, you know, hoping he'll go back for one last mission. I really hope he does go back to acting because I think the profession would be better for him being there personally. Uh, he's got a great talent and uh, we need to see him on our screens, don't we? 
So I think the best thing for us to do is to tweet Ben Payton 007 to let him know that we want him back on our screens. Let's get Rambo back. As Ben mentioned very eloquently, meningitisnow.org is his nominated charity. If any of you fancy donating a couple of quid, I'm sure that would be very much appreciated. Now, last time I credited my friends John, Rich and Colin with creating uh, the fantastic cover of the Bill theme tune for use in this podcast. I'm ashamed to say that there's a fourth member of the band that uh, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know existed. So my apologies to Simon, who plays guitar, which is quite important in a band, especially when you're covering the Bill theme tune. Uh, so it's John, Rich, Colin and Simon. And uh, further insult to injury is that Impromptu is not their band name at all either, although they still haven't decided what their band name is. So this week I should be saying thanks to Simon Seds, the band behind the Bill theme tune cover. Next time on The Bill Podcast. I do remember, you know, just asking for various things as an actor like we we had to do this uh, scene where we all sat around you know waiting for something and i said well i want to read a newspaper they said oh yeah yeah we'll, we'll bring in the the telegraph or something i said no turnham is a guardian reader <laughs> and and they they looked at me and went yeah all right so there i am sitting in one corner probably the only copper at sun hill who ever read the guardian <laughs> <laughs>